This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Let's pray together. Loving Father, as we submit ourselves to your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit would open our minds and our ears and our hearts to receive what you have to speak to each one of us. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Well, this morning we're going to continue in our series on stewardship, and this morning we're going to be focusing on work. And if we want to be good stewards of all that God has given us, we have to talk about work. Over the course of our lives, we spend more time working than doing anything else other than sleeping. And as I talk about work this morning, just to be clear, I mean this as broadly as possible. I'm defining work as the thing that we spend most of our waking hours doing. So this includes things we do for money, writing code, practicing law, repairing homes. But this also includes things that we, don't, that we do that don't earn a paycheck. So caring for our children, or volunteering, or being a student. Work is what we spend most of our waking hours doing. We're going to be talking about what it means to steward our work. And as I begin this morning, I want to talk about an essay uh, written in 1942 by a woman named Dorothy Sayers. Dorothy Sayers was a brilliant writer. She was a close friend of C.S. Lewis. And her essay is called Why Work? It is probably the best thing that I've ever read. It's a short little essay. You can find it if you just Google it. Uh, It's the best thing I've ever read on a Christian understanding of work. And in this essay, she says that in the church's 2,000-year history, one of the greatest and most persistent gaps in the teaching of the church has to do with its treatment of work. This is what she writes. In nothing has the church so lost her hold on reality as in her failure to understand and respect the secular vocation. That is our work, the work that most of us do. I'm paraphrasing here, but what she eventually says is because the church doesn't understand or respect work outside of the church, preachers by and large have neglected to teach her people about the meaning and the significance of what we do with most of our time. And the consequences of this are huge. If Sunday doesn't have anything to do with Monday, if Christianity really has little to say about what we spend most of our time doing, I don't think it takes very long for most of us to wonder why we should even bother. Here's how Dorothy puts it. How can anyone remain interested in a religion which seems to have no concern with nine-tenths of their lives? It's a fair question. In my experience, your experience might be different, but in my experience, The church typically offers little more than moralistic encouragements when it comes to work. Be kind to your colleagues, be honest in your dealings, don't get drunk on the weekends. And of course, we should be kind and we should be honest and it's not good to get drunk. But if that's all that Christianity has to say about the thing we spend most of our lives doing, 
we probably would be better off reading something like Seven Habits of Highly Effective People instead of our Bibles in the mornings. But as I hope to show you, the Bible has a lot more to say about work than that. The Christian vision of work is much more useful than be honest and don't get drunk. I don't have time, you know, talking about work, I think really to do it well would require many sermons. So I don't have uh, many sermons. I have one sermon and I I can't really outline a full vision of a Christian understanding of work. But I want to do two things this morning with this sermon. First, I want to help us to see and appreciate the meaning and the significance of our work, what we do Monday through Saturday. And second, I want to help us think about how we steward the work that God has given us to do. And mostly we're going to focus on Genesis 2, really just two verses from Genesis 2, verse 7 and verse 15. And so as we turn our attention to Genesis 2, I want to make two observations, one about God and one about ourselves. So the first observation that I want to make about Genesis 2 is that God is a worker. That's the first observation. God is a worker. In the first chapter of Genesis, which we didn't read, but I'm sure we're familiar with it. In the first chapter, God works with his words by speaking. God says, let there be light. And there was light. In Genesis chapter 2, God works in a different way. Here, he's not working with his words. He's working with his hands. We see this in verse 7. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. I don't want us to miss the imagery in this verse. In the Hebrew, the word for formed is virtually the same word for potter. A potter is a former, someone who forms beautiful and useful things from clay. So in Genesis 2-7, what we see is that God is being described as a potter. He's working with his hands. He's intentionally and masterfully molding humanity out of the clay. I love how the prophet Isaiah picks up on this image. This is a popular image throughout the scriptures. Isaiah puts it like this. You, O Lord, are our father. We are the clay and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hands. It's a beautiful image. We are the clay and God is the potter. We are the work of his hands. To be a human being means to be lovingly crafted, lovingly made by the creator of the universe who delights in his good work, who delights in us and made us for a purpose. This image of a potter, of God as a potter, as a worker, is actually really important. It's a really important thing to know about God. It shows us what God is like. He's not far off. God is not removed. He's not distant from his creation The opposite is true. God is involved. He's engaged. God gets his hands dirty. This is the first observation that I want to make from Genesis chapter 2. The God of the Bible is the one with dirt under his fingernails. God is a worker. And knowing this is really important for understanding what it means to be human. For what it means to be made in the image of God. Right? If God is a worker and we are made in this God's image, that means to be a human is also to be a worker. So that's the second observation from Genesis chapter 2. To be a human is to be a worker. 
This is one of the primary ways that we are like God. This is one of the main things it means to bear God's image, to image forth God in the world, to do work. I think when we typically imagine uh, being made in the image of God, we normally think of things like the ability to reason or to create stories or to use language. And don't get me wrong, all of these things are part of what makes us unique among God's creatures. But in the creation account, image language has much more to do with function, with our function. What I mean by that is being made in the image of God is less about our unique capacities and qualities as humans and much more about what God created us to do. It's more about our function, about what God created us to do. And verse 15 tells us exactly what humans are created to do. What is it? To do work. We are created to work. And of course, work isn't the only thing we are created to do, right? We're also created to rest. We're created to play. We're created to do lots of things. Those are sermons for a different day. This morning, we're going to be focusing on work. And here's what Genesis 2.15 says. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden. And why did he do that? To till it and to keep it. The Lord God took the man and planted him in the garden to work it and to take care of it, as other translations say. This is how humans are to live as God's image. This is how we are to be like God. We are to bring order out of chaos. We are to cultivate the earth. We're to do what God would do if he were here. We are to help the earth increase in beauty and bounty, to help all of creation come to full bloom. To live as image bearers of God, in other words, has a whole lot to do with work, the work that he has given us to do. And for the first human, this meant to work in the garden, to be a farmer, in other words. Now, if I'm reading it right, and I think that I am, it sounds like what this verse is saying is that the primary way the first human was to fulfill his purpose, the primary way he was to love God and eventually to love his neighbors when he had some, was by working in the garden. Another way to put it is the primary way the first human being was to glorify God was by working with his hands in a garden, by farming. I wonder if any of you find that to be surprising, especially given the type of work. Well, if this kind of work doesn't jump off the page as having profound spiritual significance, I think Dorothy Sayers was right. There is a hole in our discipleship. We really don't understand the significance of our work if we think farming isn't profoundly significant to God. Well, as every good commentary on Genesis will tell you, the words, the two words that summarize the human job description in Genesis 2.15, those two words are actually saturated with spiritual significance. So what do I mean by that, that these words are saturated with spiritual significance? Well, elsewhere in the Bible, The Hebrew words that we translate as work and take care of are the same two words to describe the work of priests in the temple. The same two words to describe what Adam was to do in the garden are the same two words to describe what priests were to do in the temple. This is really important. I think this means that the Bible is describing the work in the garden 
somehow as spiritual service to God. It means that work in the garden, farming, in other words, is as significant as the work that the priests were doing in the temple. And if that's true of farming, I think it's true of all the work that God has given us to do. Our work, the thing that we spend most of our waking hours doing, actually has profound spiritual significance. Our work is meant to be the very practical way that we are to love God and to love our neighbors, to love God and to love people, what Christians are for, what humans are for. So that's kind of an idea, but what does this actually look like? What does it actually look like to love God and love people with our work, with the stuff that we do Monday through Saturday? Well, to give you a sense of what I think at least it can look like, I want to give you an example from my life, and I'm not going to be talking about my work as a pastor. I'm going to be talking about other work that I've done. Now, growing up in my family, work was a very high priority. Since I could legally work and get paid, I've had a job. So since I was 13, I've never not worked. I've done a bunch of different things. I was a barista before coffee shops were cool. I spent a couple summers washing boats on the Severn River. I grew up in Annapolis. Uh, And in between uh, college and seminary, I worked in medical equipment sales. I've done a lot of different things. Um, Apart from my work as a pastor, the thing that I've spent more time doing than anything else is working in a restaurant. I was a waiter for a number of years. That's how I paid for college and much of seminary. So how did I love God and love people as a waiter working in a restaurant? Well, very simply, as a waiter... I was used by God to feed people. As I greeted people with a warm smile, as I helped them navigate the menu and pick some food and drink that they would enjoy, as I brought them the food that they actually ordered and kept their drinks full, the Lord worked through me to meet a very practical need. God used me to give people their daily bread. I think sometimes we overcomplicate what it means to do our work well, to love people through our work. It's really not that complicated. As a waiter, I was bearing God's image in a very particular way. I was serving as God's hand and feet. I was creating a hospitable place for people to gather together, to have real connection over a meal. It's pretty simple, but I don't know if there are very many more important things than that. I wouldn't say waiting tables was my dream job. There's a reason I stopped doing it. I'm not sure anyone became a Christian because I was an amazing waiter. But it was good work, and God did work through me. Waiting tables may not strike you as super spiritual, but as Teresa of Avila once wrote, even when we work in the kitchen, God moves among the pots and the pans. And so for seven or so years of my life, I worked in a restaurant, and God moved through me to feed my neighbor. Again, I know it's pretty simple, but I hope this can at least give you a sense of what it can look like to love people through our work, Monday to Saturday. So now I want to shift gears. I've spent most of our time talking about uh, the significance of our work because I think this is foundational if we were to answer the question, what does it mean to steward our work? And so what I want to do now is talk about how we might steward the work that God has given each one of us, the work that God has given each one of you to do. And this final section will be a bit shorter, shorter because instead of giving you the answer, which I actually can't do, 
instead of just telling you how to steward your work, I want to help you ask the right questions. Now, to set all of this up, I want to take us back to Dorothy Sayers' essay, and I want to read a section of what she wrote and then uh, say a few things about it. So this is a lengthy quote from her essay. How can anyone remain interested in a religion which seems to have no concern with nine-tenths of his life? The church's typical approach to an intelligent carpenter is usually confined to exhorting him not to be drunk and disorderly in his leisure hours and to come to church on Sunday. What the church should be telling him is this. The very first demand that his religion makes upon him is that he should make good tables. Come to church by all means and enjoy decent forms of entertainment, but what use is all that if in the very center of his life and occupation he is insulting God with bad carpentry? No crooked table legs or ill-fitting drawers ever, I dare say, came out of the carpenter's shop at Nazareth. Nor if they did, could anyone believe that they were made by the same hand that made heaven and earth? No piety in the worker will compensate for work that is not true to itself. For any work that is untrue to its own technique is a living lie. So what she's saying is pretty simple, but I think it is very, very helpful. I think if we get what she's saying here, if we understand what she's saying, we'll understand what it means to steward our work. So I think what she's saying is this. Instead of the anemic message that we typically hear about work, be kind, don't get drunk. Instead of that, the most important thing that we, the most important thing that you need to hear is that uh, for a Christian, to, do, uh, to steward our work means to do our work well. If you are a Christian carpenter, the very first demand your religion makes of you is to make good tables. To steward our work means to do our work well. It means to do our work to the very best of our ability. Stewarding our work very simply means doing our work well. So that's what it means, and I can tell you that, but what it actually looks like in your work isn't something that I can tell you. That's your particular field of work. This is something that you need to work out. Right, I have a pretty good sense, I think, at this point of what it means to be a pastor. I definitely know how to be a good waiter, but I don't know what it means to be a good accountant. I can't tell you what's required to be a great second grade teacher. If you're a scientist or an engineer or an artist, I wouldn't presume to tell you how to do that good work well. That's your corner of creation that God has given you to take care of and to keep. So the challenge before each of us, I think, this morning, and really with our whole lives, is to figure out what is required of us in our particular field. And to help you figure it out, here are just two questions that you can ask. They're very simple questions, uh, but I think they'll take your whole life to answer them. So here are the two questions. What is the work that God has given you to do? And what does it look like to do that work well? What is the work God has given you to do in this season of your life? And what does it look like to do that work well? Answering these questions, if you can answer them, that's the key to stewarding our work. And answering these questions takes time. It will probably take your whole life to answer them. 
So if it takes our whole life, where do we begin? Well, I think we just begin by throwing ourselves into our work, getting our hands dirty with it. As we learn from our mentors and as we learn from our mistakes, as we devote ourselves to learning what is actually required of us as we try to master our craft, over time we learn what is required to do that good work well. If you're a Christian, doing your work well is the very first demand that your religion makes of you. Of course, it's not the only demand, but it is the first demand. Because our work is how we spend most of our time. And I think this is the primary context for loving God and for loving people. In other words, the one thing that I'm trying to say in this whole sermon is that work is not a distraction from the Christian life. Our work is actually the primary context for the Christian life. I think this is what Genesis 2 tells us. This is why we were created by grace, to do good work. And we didn't have time to get into it with Ephesians 2, but I think this is also what Ephesians 2 says. This is why we are saved by grace. To be a Christian means to be saved from sin and saved for something. Saved from sin and saved for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. This is why we are created. This is what it means to be made in the image of God. And the truth is, God has work for each one of us to do. God has planted each of us in a very particular place and time. He has given each of us a particular set of gifts and desires and opportunities. And through our work, God gives us particular problems to solve and particular needs to meet and particular people to love. So my prayer for us this week and in the months and the years ahead, my prayer is that God would help us to see and to really appreciate the significance and the meaning of our work and that he would help us to do our work well for his glory and for the good of the world. So let's pray together. Loving Father, we are the clay and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Lord, I pray that you would mold us even now. And as we think about the significance of our work, Lord, I pray especially for those who are looking for work. I pray for the unemployed and the underemployed. Would you please provide good, meaningful work for them? And for all of us, Lord, I pray that you would teach us what it looks like, what is required of us to do our good work well, so that we can live as redeemed people, bearing the image of Jesus in a broken world. And we pray all of these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.